Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Continue to deal with a Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was sitting on the side of a mountain sharing a message to, to those who are following him. And uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7 contain that Sermon on the Mount. Allow me to read this passage. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Let's bow together in prayer. Dear Lord, as we continue this study of your word, Lord, grant us wisdom and understanding so that we can know how it means to us today. And Lord, how we can put it into application in our lives. Lord, guide us today. Fill us with your spirit. Lord, prepare us to be used by you to minister to this world around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever judged somebody? We do it every day, don't we? We look at somebody and we see their actions or their inactions and we kind of make a judgment against them or for them, either way. And if we're not real careful, we judge other people by what they're doing and we look at them and say, you know, I don't like what they're doing, but do we ever look in the mirror and see, do we like what we're doing? That's really the main focus of this message. Men and our, uh, those who are following Jesus at this time that are sitting under his feet, listening to this Sermon on the Mount, many of them were Jewish. How do we know that? Well, the main reason why we do is because Jesus, throughout this sermon, refers to the scribes and the Pharisees, those religious Jewish leaders who had taken the Word of God and the laws of God and had added to it man-made rules and regulations that they put basically as higher in priority than the actual Word of God. And if, you, if you've been a part of what we've been studying over the last month or so, you realize that Jesus didn't like it, God didn't like it, and so Jesus has spent most of the Sermon on the Mount kind of tearing into the Pharisees for the hypocrisy, uh, saying, you know, you're, you're living by a certain standard, and you're expecting others to live by a different standard, you're also taking the rules of God, and your, which are sacred, which are spiritual, and you're trying to rewrite them into the civil laws that man can judge against. In other words, they were saying, if we try to look at God's laws, how do we achieve those? We cannot achieve those as human beings. No, we can't. That's why we need God to work in us and through us, through His Spirit, to be able to accomplish what God desires of us. But they didn't accept that. They said, let's put it into man's ways. 
if we can come up with rules and regulations that man can follow and, and do in his own strength and abilities, then now we can judge ourselves whether or not we're accomplishing these things. So we looked at the Ten Commandments, Ten Simple Commandments. Well, the scribes and the Pharisees took these commandments and wrote volumes of rules and regulations as to how to fulfill the Ten Commandments. Just a simple part where it says, keep the Sabbath holy. They wrote three volumes on that. Basically dealing with how much could you pick up? How far could you walk? All these little nuances as to what, what actually it meant to, to keep the Sabbath holy. Jesus is saying, you hypocrites. You're making all these rules and regulations when it's real simple. Follow God. Let him work in your life. Let him be the guiding force. And so we look at all these rules and regulations that the scribes and Pharisees came up with. And here's the problem. What did the common Jewish person understand? What did they know to be the law? Well, you didn't have the scrolls from Genesis through Malachi in your home. You had to go to the synagogue and you had to have a rabbi to teach you what the scribes has, had written down, what the scrolls said, what the actual Word of God says. Now, the rabbis were basically just repeating what the scribes and Pharisees had taught them. And so they were teaching not the Word of God, but the man-made rules and regulations that they had come up with. So for centuries, the Jewish people were now living under man-made rules and regulations instead of the true Word of God. And so here's what we're dealing with. Jesus is looking at this multitude of people, primarily Jewish. There were definitely Gentiles among them. But Jesus is looking at this primarily Jewish group who have basically been living under man-made laws for centuries. And he's saying, we've got to get back to the basics. We've got to get back to what God has written, the Word of God. And so now he's dealing with judgment. How do we judge each other? Now, verse 1 says, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. Did you know that's probably one of the most quoted scriptures by non-Christians out of context of all the scriptures in the Bible? Matter of fact, uh, I got called to serve on jury duty. I wasn't actually selected for jury, uh, but... When you go through the process, at least for me, the judge said, does anyone have a problem with this verse? And he quoted this verse, do not judge so that you will not be judged. Basically, there are some people that would say, I can't judge anybody else because I don't want anybody to judge me. In other words, who is it in my place to judge someone else? How can I sit on a jury panel and be the one who convicts or acquits somebody? That's not what this means. People take it out of context, especially the non-Christian uh, world around us loves to take this out of context. Here's what they basically say, how dare you judge me? The Bible itself tells you you cannot judge me. And they'll quote this, do not judge so that you will not be judged. That's not what this is talking about. But basically what they're saying is, we don't want you to judge me because... I know I don't live according to your standards, which are God's standards. I don't want you to judge me. I don't want anybody to judge whether my lifestyle is right or wrong. I choose how I'm going to live. I don't want anybody to tell me otherwise. 
But if you look at this one verse, do not judge so that you will not be judged, and you take it out of context, you can make it sound like anything you want to. But as I've always said, you've got to take the verses of Scripture in the context where they're written, and also in the context of the Bible as a whole. Is, does the Bible tell us that we are not to judge? No, it tells us pretty much just the opposite. God wants us as His children to look at the lives of others and see are we all living a life according to God's will. And when somebody in our congregation, somebody in the family of God is stepping away from God, veering from the truth, not living according to the words of God, it is our responsibility to go to them and gently share with them their, their mistake and draw them back to the center of God's will. How do I know that? Look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. James says something very similar in chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth, and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from his error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Two different times, two different books of the Bible, two different authors that God inspired have said pretty much the same thing. It is our responsibility as spiritual Christians to go to those who are spiritual, who are children of God, who are straying from the truth, and to gently draw them back to God. Gently draw them back to the truth. Gently draw them back to what is right. But notice in uh, Galatians it says, Restore such a one in a gentle spirit, each one looking to yourself first. And that's what the crux of this passage is going to be all about. We must first deal with our own spiritual weaknesses before we can deal with anyone else's spiritual weakness. And I hope nobody here thinks that they don't have any. We all are sinners. We are all still sinners in the eyes of God. We cannot live perfect lives. Even as we surrender to the Lordship of Christ, even as we surrender to the Holy Spirit living in us and working through us, we're still going to take little times in our life where we're going to say, well, I'll just do it my way instead of God's way. Or I don't need God on this. I can figure it out myself. And that's when we get in messes. And if we're not careful, we can stray further and further away from God. What this passage really comes down to is not that we are or are not to judge others. It's the manner in which we are to judge. And so we look at that in the very next verse. Verse 2 says, For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by the standard of measure, it will be measured to you. The word for says, for this reason. For this reason, you are to judge. In this manner, you are to judge. And so we look and we see that we are to judge, and here's the reason why. Well, it says we, we must live by a set of standards, measurements, standards. If, if you were going to an archery course and you wanted to practice your archery, you need something to aim at, don't you? You've got this great big thing that has concentric circles, and you finally have that center one that's called the bullseye. What do you aim at? Do you aim at this tree over here? 
No, you're aiming at the bullseye. You want to be able to hit as close to the bullseye as, as possible. You have to have something to aim at that is true, that you know is what, you're, what you want to happen. Same thing spiritually. We must set a set of standards that we must live by and aim towards each and every day of our lives so that we know whether or not we're hitting the mark. What is the standard that we use? Well, it's not the, the rules and regulations that the scribes and the Pharisees wrote. It's the actual Word of God. That's our aim. Well, how do we know if we're hitting it? Well, you've got to read, study, meditate on the Word of God so that you know what it says. You need to study it together, come to Sunday school, times of worship where it's being proclaimed, and we understand not only is this what the Word of God says, but here's how it applies to our lives. And so we learn what the truths are. Jesus even kind of basically did the paraphrase of the, of the Ten Commandments here in, this, in, this passage, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount. So we look and we say, okay, God has set the standard. The standard's not mine. God set the standard. But if God sets the standard and I'm supposed to judge others by that standard, then guess what? I'm going to be judged by that exact same standard. We look and we see, can I look at other people and say, you know, I just see sin in their life. I see sin in their life. I see sin in their life. But never look to see if there's any sin in my life. Are we setting a standard so high for other people that they'll never reach it? And so we're always condemning them, but we don't set that same standard for our own lives. And so we never feel convicted. So that's really what the scripture is saying. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the same way you judge, you will be judged. By your, by, and by your standard of measure, it would be measured to you. Well, here's the situation in Jesus' day. Dealing with the scribes and the Pharisees, he knows that that's... His, uh, the counterpoint, they're always doing things that are against what God wants them to do. He knows that the Pharisees were the worst at judging others and the worst at judging themselves. They would judge others by a very high standard, but they would even set a standard for themselves because they thought that they were perfect. They thought that they were without fault. And so they would look at others and see all these faults in them, condemn them for the least little thing, like carrying half an ounce too much on the Sabbath, walking in a few extra steps than they were allowed to on the Sabbath, all the different rules and regulations, they would, they would immediately condemn them when they broke these rules and regulations. But they were very, they found it very difficult to see anything wrong in their own lives, their own hypocrisy. As a matter of fact, Luke chapter 18, verses 13, uh, 11 through 13, give us an example of this. Here's a Pharisee and then a tax collector. They're in the temple praying. It says, The Pharisee stood and prayed this to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes on all that I get. But then the tax collector, standing some distance away, was unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. 
Do you see the difference between the two? One was already condemning himself because he knew that he was a sinner. He was not willing to judge another person. But the Pharisee felt that he was so superior that he was judging all people, not just this tax collector, but all people that he kind of bundled into this group of sinners. So since the people had heard the teachings of these Pharisees for so long, they too were so quick to judge others without judging themselves, without looking inward spiritually to see, am I guilty? And so Jesus is now warning that if we're going to judge others by any set of standards, we need to make sure we're being judged by that same set of standards. If we set the standard really high, then guess what? God's going to judge us by a higher standard as well. So what we really come down to is hypocrisy. And that's exactly what Jesus says in the next three verses. Let me read them, verses 3 through 5. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite! First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So Jesus uses a very exaggerated story to try to get home a point, a point of hypocrisy. Now, everybody's probably had something in their eye before. It just drives you crazy. Even the least little piece of ash or uh, lint or something like that can just drive you crazy. It'll feel like it's, uh, feels like a brick in there scratching your eye. And if you blink enough, sometimes it flushes it out. Sometimes you can put some eye drops in and it'll flush it out. Other times you've got to have somebody come along with a little tissue or something where they can help find it and wipe it out. Well, if somebody comes along and helps you to get it out and they got that little tissue and they're, they're trying to open up your eye and find that one little bit speck, do you want them to have a log sticking out of their eye where they can't see what they're doing? Obviously not. So we see that Jesus is using an incredibly exaggerated story, but he's trying to hammer home a point. How can we, how can anybody judge another, look at another's faults, while they're not willing to examine their own fault. How can anybody say, you know, I saw you out the other night, you were doing something that you shouldn't have been doing, but yet you're not willing to examine your own heart, your own life to find out, you know, I'm doing things I shouldn't be doing as well. So here's what Jesus is saying. Stop and examine your own heart, your own life first. Make sure that you have a righteous life before the Lord, that you have confessed your sinfulness before the Lord, that He has forgiven you and cleansed you and restored you to a right relationship with Him. Then He can use you to help others be drawn back to the right relationship themselves. We see this very exaggerated story, but here is a Bible story that's really not a story. It's factual evidence of something that took place in the Old Testament. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 12, and it deals with King David. You know the story of David, King David and Bathsheba. King David sees this beautiful woman, and he desires her and has his servant go and get her. Turns out that Bathsheba's married to a man named Uriah. David wasn't concerned about that. He basically took Bathsheba as his own. 
When he finds out that she is with child, he tries to trick Uriah into coming home and having relationships with his wife, but he refuses to because he's a soldier and does not feel like that would be proper to do. So instead, David sends him off in the battle and tells the commander to withdraw all of his troops away but leave Uriah there, which basically was murder. Had Uriah killed and took Bathsheba as his own wife. Now, the prophet Nathan was sent by God because David didn't seem like this was a problem. Here's what Nathan said. King David, there's a man in our district. He's a wealthy man. He has many sheep. Then there's a poor man close by. He has one little lamb, and he treats that little lamb almost like family. He loves it, pets it. He cherishes that little lamb. Well, it's time to make a sacrifice. It's time to make an offering. And the rich man does not want to give up a single one of his own sheep. So he takes his precious little lamb from this poor man, takes it as his own, sacrifices it. Now the man has nothing. David is outraged. He says this man must be put to death after he gives four times back what he took. Y'all know the story. Nathan says, King David, you're that man. You are so high and mighty in your own statute. You look at others as if you are over all other people. You are so free to judge even a story that I just made up. You're so ready to judge others for their faults, but you're not willing to look at your own faults. Now, folks, if we're not careful, we're just like David. We're just like him. It's so easy for us to look at others who are misbehaving, They're especially a child of God, a, a brother or sister in Christ, where their lives are not lining up the way that we think they should with the Scriptures. And we want to just tear into them. Do you know what you're doing? Do you know what you're doing? But we're not willing to look in the mirror, the spiritual mirror, and say, you know, I've got faults of my own. I'm struggling in this area of my life or this area of my life. I need, to, I need to work on that. I need to deal with that first. See, for us to be used by God to draw someone else back to the right relationship with the Lord, we better be there first. We better have that right relationship with the Lord first or we will be absolutely useless. Here's what will happen if we try to correct somebody and they know that we have sin in our own lives. They'll say, you're accusing me of this when you're doing that? How dare you judge me when you need to be judged yourself? That's really the picture of what is taking place here. And so every child of God needs to first have that time of self-examination. Oh, okay, how about let's make that a New Year's resolution. Every New Year's I'll examine my heart and my life and see if there's anything wrong. I'll spend five minutes and... If I don't feel just totally convicted, I'll just go on. I feel like everything's okay. That's not enough. That's not going to work. You need to have an intimate time with God every day, even throughout the day, where as you have this intimate relationship with God, that as we sin, He convicts us immediately of that sin. As we feel that conviction, we immediately say, Lord, I see the sin in my life. I 
confess that sin before you. I repent of that sin. I desire to turn away from that sin. And I pray that you will forgive me of that sin and that you will cleanse me of that unrighteousness. That's how we need to live all day, every day. Open to the Spirit of God working in us and through, through us to, to convict us when we err, when we stray from the right path, and we see God working in us. Then, as we know that we have confessed our sins, that He's forgiven us, He's cleansed us, then He will make us in a right position that we can be used by Him, not necessarily use the word judge, but to examine the lives of others around us and say, you know, how can I be used to, to help this person be drawn back to the right relationship? There's always two ways to do this. You can either just boldly say, you know, you're out of God's will and you need to straighten up. That usually doesn't go over very well. People don't want to hear that. Another way is to say, you know, we both struggle with areas of our lives. I've struggled with this area of my life. I sense that you're struggling with another area of your life. Why don't we commit to praying for each other? Help me, allow me to help you to deal with this area of your life. Let me be an encourager to you. Let me be a prayer warrior for you. You can call me day or night when you're struggling with this, and I'll be there for you. That's really what God's talking about. Go back to Galatians. Get to the right page. The first thing he says is, or in the middle it says, each one looking to yourself so that you will be not tempted. So we've got to do that self-examination first. Make sure that we're right with God. Then God's going to put the right spirit, the right heart in us to know how we can best deal with the sinfulness of others. But then he finishes up in verse 6. Do not give what is holy to dogs. And do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear them to pieces. Now, this has always been one of those verses you go, why is that there? What does it mean? Well, the first part of this passage deals with Christians dealing with Christians. The spiritual dealing with the spiritual. Children of God dealing with children of God. But we need to have discernment. The dogs do not represent children of God. The swine do not represent children of God. The dogs in this picture are not the pets that some of you have that you think are part of your family that you treat like human beings. The dogs in this area are wild, savage dogs, and they'll tear into anything that they can get their teeth on. Uh, how about the swine? Well, if you know anything about Judaism, swine, pigs, are not kosher. You're not supposed to touch them, have them. They, they would not be good Southern Baptists. They wouldn't be eating Boston butt and things like that like we do. It's taboo. Stay away from it. So why would you take that which is holy? And the picture is that you have just made an offering on the altar in the temple and that meat has been offered to God. It is now considered to be holy. And you take that meat and you go out and find a wild dog and feed it to him. Why in the world would you do that? Same reason why would you take a precious jewel, a pearl, 
and throw it out in front of a pig, a hog. Now these aren't just tame pigs, they're, they're not being bred for, for food. These are basically your wild boars with the tusks that, that tear up the ground, trying to find roots to eat and things of this nature. Why would you throw something that precious in front of them for them just to trample on and to stomp into the mire and muck? Makes no sense, does it? Well, here's really the picture. Why would we try to help somebody get back on the spiritual path that they've never been on? Why would we take somebody who is not a child of God that has no sense, no understanding of the Word of God and say, Oh, by the way, I see that you're straying from the Word of God. No, they're not straying from the Word of God. They don't know the Word of God. It's not a part of them. And so we need to have spiritual dis discernment. There's one way to deal with brothers and sisters in Christ who are erring in their walk with Christ. And there's another way to deal with non-Christians, people who are not your brother and sister in Christ. Brother and sister in Christ, I just share with you how you deal with them. How do we deal with the ones who are not brothers and sisters in Christ? Totally different. We, we can't judge them by the same standard because here's what they're going to say. That standard doesn't apply to me. I'm not a Christian. You're a Christian. You have to follow those rules and regulations. I'm not a Christian. I don't have to follow that. You're trying to judge my lifestyle, and I reject that. So how do we deal with this? Well, we deal with a non-Christian in a totally different way. Very similar, though. We say, you know, we both have something very in common. We're both sinners against God. You may believe in God. You may not. I believe in God. And according to the Word of God, because of our sin, we deserve death, eternal. Don't know if you believe in eternal life, life after death or not. I'd just like to share with you how it's affected my life, because I do. According to the Word of God, He's done something to deal with that sin. He sent His Son, Jesus, to die for me, in my place, for my sin. And I'd like to share with you about Jesus. If they're open, praise the Lord. If they're not, pray that somewhere along the way they'll hear it again, or that God puts you in another opportunity to share it with them again. But... With a child of God, we're approaching judgment in one way because we see them stray and we're just trying to get them back on the right path with God. For another, we see that they don't even know that there's a path to be on and we're trying to help them to find the path. So basically he's saying, have spiritual discernment. Don't waste your time trying to draw somebody into the center of God's will when they don't even know that there is a will of God. Spiritual discernment. Allow God to be the guiding force. So, before we examine the life of another, first thing we have to do is examine our own lives. Then, whatever standard God has given us, that's a standard that we use for all people, including ourselves. Then let us use spiritual discernment to know how to deal with all people, whether they're brothers and sisters in Christ, or whether they're part of the lost world around us. Let's bow together. Dear Lord, we come to you today realizing that every one of us needs to be judged ourselves. Lord, we are all sinners. And Lord, our sinfulness causes a, a break in our relationship with you. And Lord, we should be spiritually sensitive to know when that happens. To feel the conviction of your Holy Spirit showing that there's something wrong in our lives. But Lord, 
Sometimes we become very callous because we allow our sins to com com compound and we just don't want to deal with them. Lord, I pray that you'll help us today to, to admit to you, confess to you our sinfulness and allow your spirit to, to convict us of all of our sin and help us, Lord, to confess it and to repent of it, to turn away from it and allow you to be that strength, that guiding force that leads us to the path of victory over our sin, and that you will forgive us of our sins and restore us, and, Lord, that you will cleanse us. Lord, as we get into the proper position as your child, then, Lord, we pray that you will use us as a guiding force, as an encourager to help others who are struggling with their sin. Lord, help us not be judgmental, but, Lord, help us to be filled with grace and mercy, and love as we do it. Lord, we also know that there's a lost world around us that desperately needs to hear about your, your gift of salvation, eternal life. Lord, in a totally different way, give us that wisdom, that spiritual discernment to know how to deal with them as well. Lord, we cannot be judgmental at all, or they'll just reject anything that they hear. Lord, help us to Show them how that we relate and understand where they are and how they can come to Christ and receive his gift of salvation. Lord, we pray that you will convict us, prepare us to be used by you to encourage others, whether lost or saved. May we be found faithful in that calling. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.